0: welcome to the we love philly podcast we are we love philly our mission is to promote volunteerism throughout the streets of philadelphia and bring back the brotherly love to the city of brotherly love each week we bring an individual or organization that's making philly a better place we hope you enjoy and let's dive in
1: Welcome, everybody, to the We Love Philly podcast. On this episode of the podcast, we have Salah Muhammad. Salah is an organizer with Color of Change. He is the founder of the Coalition for Community Empowerment, and he is also the host of one of the best podcasts in Philadelphia called Salah's Corner. Also on this episode of the podcast, we have our first-time student on the We Love Philly podcast, Tashid Dorsey. Say what's up, Tashid.
0: What's up, what's up? So on this episode of the podcast, we talk about how community motivates Salah to engage in the issues that matter to him. Also, we touch bases on the impact that politics could have on our communities and how his organization, Coalition for Community Empowerment, aims to solve the civic engagement divide in our city.
1: If you Thanks. would like to support the We Love Philly podcast, you can check us out where all podcasts are listened to you can leave us a comment come and join our social media family come and follow us at we love philly if you want to learn more about Salah's work you can catch him at Salah's corner on instagram you can also check him out at cfcephilly.org
0: This interview made me think about some of the major issues that we have on our communities. So I just want y'all to listen, tune in, give feedback. Check out my man, too. He got something coming out for y'all, too. Stay tuned and listen out.
1: Thank you. One of the best things about his social media at Salaz Corner is his whack ass
2: of the week. <laughs> what is the whack ass of the week? So, the whack ass of the week is the final segment of the Salaz Corner podcast where we nominate a political whack ass of the week, somebody who we just think is not doing their job, not for the people, or they did something gross and are trash. And so, we nominate a whack ass of the week, we post them on our IG, in our IG stories, and we have the people vote on who they think is the whack ass of the week of the two.
1: What do we have this week?
2: So this week we have, oh God, who would he have? We have Superintendent Dr. William Heights of the Philadelphia School District, uh-huh. specifically because he, he seems to have like half-ass a plan of reopening schools. Every other week there's a plan to reopen and then it shuts down, and then there's a plan to reopen and then it shuts down. Like, that was my personal nomination for him because this isn't something that you can just on a win week by week, go by, put some thought into it and some dollars and some cents into your thinking. That was my whack ass of the week. And then my sister nominated, this one is not local, a South Dakota attorney general. He hit someone with his car, but he thought it was a deer and kept going. Stopped for a second and then kept going. And then came back later to the scene, didn't get arrested right away, ultimately ended up getting arrested. The kicker is the person that he hit with the car, their glasses ended up in the front seat. And so how did you not think that you hit a person? The face of the person was in their windshield. So when you look at the car, the vehicle that was that hit the person (laughs) literally has the face print in the windshield glasses in the passenger seat after you hit them. But he thought he hit a deer. And so there's cause to have him step down. He's not stepping down. He's currently being impeached. And so that was my sister's. I know that one was like way out. Like she, by far, that one definitely should have won. That's this week's whack Ass of the Week. Wow. Whack Asses of the Week, I should say.
1: Yeah. Let's give the listeners a bit of context. I met you at Rec Philly Mm -hmm. probably two years ago. Yeah. We were both at a, a podcast networking event. And I have learned so much about podcasting from you, and I appreciate oh, you for thank it. You. And I really loved when we met and you gave me your card, and I believe you had your bitmoji on your card. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> and I liked the, the premise of Salah's Corner being a history teacher because it seems like you are making the listener – Take an active role in holding people on the local level accountable. Is that your intention with your podcast?
2: Yes, ultimately. How they hold them accountable and what they hold them accountable for is up to the people, as it should be. But traditionally, those at the bottom aren't always given the avenue or the space to talk about these things. Typically you need to have a degree in political science, or you need to have studied law, or you need to be some talking head on TV. And it's not me and you talking about these things and people taking us seriously. And so my goal and what I do is equip folks with how to engage in those conversations and take away points that they can then take to the people that are supposed to represent them and um, make them feel empowered to do that and make them think about how they want to have those problems solved and not just complain to the legislators and complain to the representatives. Actually come with them and saying, look, this isn't working and this is why and this is why you need to listen to me. Mm. And so that's what the birth of Salaz Corner podcast started as. It actually started as a blog of me writing down my own frustrations with the system and seeing all of the inadequacies in the system that then morphed into face-to-face community discussions at Uncle Bobby's almost four years ago. At this point, this was 2016. And that was the birth of Salas Corner. And, And then from there, my community encouraged me to start a podcast to have my, not necessarily my voice, but the space that I create for folks to be able to engage and think and feel empowered about how they can get involved, to turn that into a podcast so it could be wide-reaching.
0: What makes you grind as hard as you
2: do to get the results that you want to see? That's a really good question. And that drives at the heart of why I do everything and where this path has led me. To be quite frank, I grew up poor. I grew up in poverty. I grew up to a single mother and nine children, I grew up going to a different house every year for school. By the time I graduated high school, I went to 11 different schools in Philadelphia. And that was because we were so poor, we had to move from neighborhood to neighborhood, which meant we had to go to the closest school. At one point when I was in sixth grade, I was going to middle school at Salzburger, 48th and Fairmount, right in West Philly, from a homeless shelter. And it was because of that upbringing that I felt a void of community. Regardless of how big my family was and things like that, there was a void there for me and I needed to fill it. But I also wanted to make sure that the next person coming after me didn't have to go through that. And that is something that continuously pushes me through everything that I do. Because one, this is also something I'm learning about myself. I'm super bitter about that still. But two, I see the inadequacies in the system that are in place for poor people But I also see that same system blaming poor people for being poor. And if we want to actively be a part of the change of that, we have to empower those people who are poor and not blame them for the position that they're in, but also target the folks who are well off and target the folks who benefit from me being poor so that we can start to see some changes in the system that we want to actually see. What is one of your most... Empowering
0: moments
2: that you witnessed or that you got the chance to experience while Um, working? That's one of my—empowering for me or empowering for someone else that I created an opportunity for? Which one? uh,
0: For you and for someone else. Gotcha.
2: Okay. Man, I would have to say let's go with someone else first because I'm going to have to think a little bit about myself for someone else, just recently, I traveled to Georgia to help with the Senate elections. It was the first time a Black man, Democrats, have been elected to the Senate since 1992. And we went down there, we did a drive-in movie. It was all free, free food, entertainment, and activities for the kids, all while like maintaining social distancing and talking about folks just getting out there to vote. And being able to create a space like that during the pandemic where I know a lot of families have been beaten down and lost loved ones and have struggled, that was really impactful to see to the point where I was only there to help out, but like I stayed out of the car because I loved being around the folks that needed that because it had been a long time since we've been able to engage in that way. And I I saw how much the folks needed that. And even the folks that were volunteering with us, because we had a lot of volunteers that were engaged with just making the event a success. I saw what they needed, even in volunteering. And that was being able to be a part of creating a space for folks like that was great, honestly. And then for me personally, I would say it was in June of last year. Right after the protests kicked off here in Philly, I created a Zoom panel for just us to talk about what we were experiencing, what folks were feeling. And it was really moving for me because I didn't realize how much I needed to have those conversations as well. And it was like, well, I think it was a Friday. I initially thought of the idea. I pitched it to a couple people. By Monday, we had the event designed, all virtual. And it was the next Friday that we had over 60 people on the Zoom call talking about how we're feeling in this moment of The George Floyd protest and what happened with Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and how they felt about being out in the streets and protesting, the types of content that they were being exposed to on social media and how traumatizing that could be. And it was empowering for me just to be in that space and realizing that I also needed to be a part of those discussions at the same time.
1: That story leads me to something that I've been wrestling with doing the work with We Love Philly. And I don't know if paradoxical is the word when it comes to politics and when it comes to the systems and when it comes to empowering people from the bottom up. So our Mm -hmm. system and one of the main reasons why it's broken is everything comes top down. There's no incentive to empower the people at the bottom, to give them the tools necessary, the opportunities necessary, the education necessary, to inspire them to wanna work on a project and use that project for good to change the environment in which they live. Mm -hmm. Now, when I see politics, I see that as being something that is completely top-down these people aren't connected to the people in the community. They're doing things sometimes for just photo opportunities. They're doing things just for the media, but they're not actually on the ground like a lot of community organizations that I have seen in the past couple of years doing We Love Philly work. Where is that balance? I see so many people freaking out, especially recently with Trump and, and how politics has been. And it's just, what are they doing for us? And it's just they're waiting for them to do something for them, but they're not coming to save you. Everything that we need in our community is going to come from the bottom up. Is there a balance between the two where politics and the the way the current system set up can actually still benefit us as we're self-actualizing to the level of being able to make legitimate community change? I know I asked that very long, but I had to...
2: You outlined how we we currently operate in a system where in order to get things done, it has to come from the politicians. But in order for the politicians to be swayed, it has to come from the demands of the people.
1: I'm thinking that the way that we get things done is empowering people to take the initiative to do it themselves and not think the politicians are going to do it and not be banging on their door or waiting for something to happen that's not going to happen specifically in the neighborhoods that I know you and I serve. So where is the balance? I know in a democracy, people need to hold these politicians accountable. But at the same time, I feel like it's a double edged sword because we're waiting for them to save us when in reality, if we Get together and start to do things on a community level, real change will actually happen.
2: Well, then it's, I hate to answer your question with a question. What does accountability look like? Is accountability, I voted you into office and then you didn't do what I wanted you to do. So, two, four, however many number of years later, now I vote you out of office. Is that how the individual sees accountability? Is that how a community sees accountability? Or is accountability, and how I see it, is You are into office. Now, every day of the week, every month, every year, we're going to talk about what you're doing and what you're not doing. We're going to have conversations. We're going to call you and hold your feet to the fire on what you're doing and not doing. We're not going to wait until the next election cycle. And so right now, there are two different thought processes about tackling that problem. There is a group of folks that fully believe that the accountability piece of it happens during election season. And when that person needs to be voted in or out of office, where there are folks like myself trying to empower and engage the community and said, no, no, accountability isn't just during that time. Accountability is right now I have a concern over how policing is happening in the city. You are currently in office and have the power to do something about it. Now I need you to listen to our demands and make it actually happen. One of the biggest things that folks forget, and, and I think part of the problem has been what I said is when we have these conversations, it's done in a way that it doesn't include the people who are most directly impacted by it. And so from a politician's perspective, there's no incentive to reach out to the poorest of the poor to include them into these conversations, especially on conversations on the solutions, because I know they're going to show up four years from now and vote for me again. So I don't really need to go that route. I need to get the folks who aren't showing up for me and include them into these conversations. And so I get invited to conversations all the time. But those conversations don't need to happen with me. Honestly, they don't. They need to happen with the parent who's working the 3 to 11 shift or the single mom who is working two shifts because the 3 to 11 ain't paying enough but they are not being included in those conversations and aren't being invited to those conversations. It, it takes a, it's a large effort of re-educating all of society on how we hold the people that work for us accountable. That's done not every four or two years or six years when we vote for them, but while they're currently in office yes. and what that accountability starts to look like.
1: We just got done doing a civics lesson in class and we were talking about what does that accountability look like? These politicians aren't reaching out to people in the community because of voting and A, B, and C. And then I let them know a big reason why I think that community issues are not being handled is because of Citizens United. Your vote does not matter the same as a corporation's vote who can fund said politician's campaign. And I let students know what that Supreme Court case is, and I tell them the ramifications of something like that, we start thinking of solutions. And most of the time the solution is, we need to get money out of politics. And I'm like, okay, have you heard of cryptocurrency, blockchain, Bitcoin? And they're like, no, and I'll go into that. And I'm like, the possibility is that if we start to use the blockchain, every time a politician sends and or receives money, it will be in a public ledger and we can see who's funding said politician to hold them more accountable. And there has to be some sort of transparency for the next generation to feel like they have an actual voice. Because I think the major disconnect that's coming up, and I want to touch on the Coalition for Community Empowerment to see how you're addressing that. But I think that's the major disconnect is younger generation coming up. And Tashi, let me know if you're the younger generation coming up. But I think the disconnect is why try? They don't care about us. It's not going to matter we don't have the money to get on their radar, so why try? Am I off base with that?
2: No, no, you good. I'm a complete nerd when it comes to politics, but also a complete nerd when it comes to thinking of the solutions to how we address some of these things. And yes, I, I agree that having a public record that is easily accessible to the people on how politicians are funded is a key to the transparency problem and a key to making sure that if you gave me a million dollars, that basically you own me for that million dollars, and I'm going to then take what you want and try to turn it into policy. I think that's something that we need to definitely grapple with. But there's two problems. A lot of times we bundle all of politics into this idea of the problem is money, which it is by and large. One of the biggest problems with politics today is money. But the other problem is what you highlighted here, but it happens on the local level, a purposeful disenfranchisement of the process. And so on the national level, the problem with, with politics is definitely money. But on a local level, it's folks truly not believing in the system. It's folks not understanding and having an education on your city councilors, your mayors, your district attorneys, what they are actually doing and policy that they're actually pushing forward and being able to find solutions around that. And so if you aren't educating the folks on what our city council does and what our mayor does and what our district attorney does, there's not a lot of education that happens around that in our system. So you take the lack of education piece of it. And combine that on the national stage with what folks are seeing as far as how money influences politics, it's being attacked on both ends. And I think it, the solution is solving it by separating the two. I can get you more invested into politics by talking about what happens locally and what matters locally. For example, last election cycle, one of the biggest ways that a lot of us folks talked about getting folks out to vote and getting care about politics is talking about the fact that stop and frisk was on the ballot you want cops to stop and frisk you, that's caring about a local issue because the only people that can actually change that are the folks that are in your city. On the federal level, they can't do nothing about that. They can't implement a policy that will make stop and frisk illegal and they can't enforce it on the federal level. And so how do I get you to care about and educate you on the things that are happening in the city and the municipalities where you actually live, because those folks have the most direct influence on your day-to-day life.
1: I love that you said that. That's one of the solutions we gear towards is why aren't specific policies themselves on the ballot? And we, we touched on that this year with the Community Oversight Board for the police
2: department. That was another thing on the ballot last year.
1: And when I started talking about that, you saw the the, the connection between mm-hmm. Philadelphia youth and and their city and, like, oh, I'm not voting for a person who says they're going to do something. I can vote for the actual issue itself. Mm-hmm. And I would love to, to see more.
2: And my organization, Coalition for Community Empowerment, I view that as one of the ways to engaging more young people in the system. Because that's the introduction into why this is all important. I need you to go vote because we are trying to create an oversight board on what the police do. That's on the ballot. I need you to go vote in this election. Now we're talking about 2021. I need you to go vote in this election because there are a number of judges that are up for election that's going to oversee court cases that directly affect black people in the city. That's why I need you to go vote. And so if we start to understand directly how it impacts me, because politics now in the 24-hour news cycle makes it so detached from how it directly impacts me. Talk about what Joe Biden does and what Kamala Harris does and all of these senators from all of these different countries, but how often are we talking about $1,400 checks? This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. It's not a direct point-to-point of, I vote for Joe Biden, I'm going to get all of these things. However, when these questions are on the ballot... That's a direct thing that you are voting for. And that's the way we introduce those folks and understanding how all of these organizations work within the city, how they organize around politicians and support issues locally. I guess a question that I wanna ask is what are three
0: core values that you use for yourself
2: and how do you bring them to the table for color of change Um, Yeah, that's a good question. And so for those who don't know, my work with the blog, then podcast, and then morphing to launching my own nonprofit, Coalition for Community Empowerment, and also being brought on as an employee with Color of Change, one of the nation's largest uh, racial justice organizations in the country, it took me actually sitting down and figuring out what those were and how I wanted to Navigate that space so that I can then be the example for other folks. One of the things that I do regularly, whether I'm sitting down with someone one on one, whether I disagree or agree with them, whether or not I'm working with someone to collaborate on the event, is to assume the best intentions. It sounds easy, but that's really difficult, especially in politics when you disagree with someone. And I do that because, especially when I disagree with you, I can't have a better understanding about your viewpoint if I assume you came to that with the worst of intentions. And so as hard as it is, as much racism as there is in these different systems, I push myself to assume the best intentions, because when I do that, you will also hear me on why your problem might be wrong. And if you're not willing to hear me, then that's a whole other story. But I leverage my position better that way. And it also equips me with understanding your point of view so I can figure out if there's a better way to navigate. And so one of my values is 100% assuming the best intentions of whoever I sit down with. The second, I, I always try to think about how it impacts not just me, but like the community at large, whatever folks will take out of it, because I can sit here all day and night and talk about what I think things should be and shouldn't be, but nobody really wants to hear me. I'm not running for public office. The way we engage in conversation is by being open to different ideas and perspectives and thinking how it impacts the person that it's meant to serve. If we're trying to serve this person, then let's think through what that actually starts to look like. And instead of us sitting here and disagreeing and never being able to come to the table and and actually solve a problem, now I know the problem you're trying to solve. And even though you're coming from a different direction, now let's sit down and figure out how we can solve it together. So that's the the second thing. And then the third one I would say is I try to encourage people to think deeply. I think deeply about all of these problems. And so when I am poking holes in things, which I often do, I don't just poke holes to say it's wrong or it's bad. I poke holes with an alternative and encourage folks to also think about alternatives. And I think that's one of the things that I constantly repeat when I'm on my podcast is, what are you doing to think deeply about the problem? If you're not thinking deeply about the problem, is this a space where we can be a sounding board. Is this clubhouse? Do you know what clubhouse is? <laughs> That's basically what clubhouse has turned into. Is a room where folks just shout things at each other and nobody listens. So is this clubhouse or are we actually trying to solve something? And are we thinking about the responses that we're getting and what is being said to us instead of I got to react because what you said was triggering or it was this or is was that. Even if it may have been. Yeah. Taking the opportunity to think it through and actually address it adequately so that... Others can also do this.
1: Yes. You hurt my ego. Let me attack you because I want to be right. Mm, That's yeah.
2: all of politics. I just need to be right. I need to get the room on my side. And so...
1: Let me put on this theater. To right. That and happen. it's like
2: politics has then turned into this public gross theater act for a lot of people, a lot of politicians, a lot of organizations even that just do it to appear transparent or appear to be on the side of the right thing instead of, okay, how do we sit down at a table? We both have identified a problem and actually think, we doesn't mean we have to walk away agreeing, but actually come through and talk about what the solutions to that problem could possibly be.
1: With the Coalition for Community Empowerment, say tomorrow you wake up and you have a million dollar donation and now you have all the time and you have the energy, what would be the three things that you're gonna start enacting to empower the community?
2: The first thing is to strengthen those community relationships. I can't get anybody to do anything until I actually develop a relationship with them. So I need you to trust me. And in order for me to trust you, I gotta invest in you. And so what does that investment look like? Whether that means just bringing you out to a free event so you can see what I'm all about, whether that means providing you with a workshop or educational spaces where you can walk away with a skill, or if that's just putting you in a space where your frustrations and your fears and your troubles can be heard by those who are empowered to do something. That's the creating a relationship. The second thing is then the education piece of it. Our education system, for lack of a better word, is complete trash, by and large. This is no individual attack on any specific school district. Philadelphia sucks, but... (laughs) Like, individually, it sucks. But as a whole, our American education system from K to 12 is complete trash. It's outdated, It's it relies solely on standardized testing and attendance. There's no incentive in a lot of ways for teachers to be innovative and creative, which ultimately means there's no, a lot of ways for kids to be innovative and creative. And then ultimately, we don't educate wholly on politics. And it's the most baffling thing to me that I've ever thought of. You got folks that are graduating high school at 18 and can then make wildly crazy decisions on how the rest of the free world, quote unquote, navigates, yet they aren't being educated on how to actually engage in that system. It needs to be a rigorous requirement because our society will collapse if we don't have people educated on our political system. That's just a fact. And from there, once folks are educated, that doesn't mean they're naturally going to just do. From there it's then full on talking about the problems of society and addressing them directly, whether that be institutional racism, whether that be poverty, whether that be inadequacies in our healthcare system, all of the above, and then equipping the folks that we educated on targeting those problems and actually how to solve them.
1: You ready to donate that million
0: dollars? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I
2: got, I got... One of the things that I've been working on behind the scenes is doing the first part of that. It's creating that space for community, investing in those relationships, and that means doing this drive-in movie that I've been working on. Partnership, my organization, Coalition for Community Empowerment, partnering with the Philadelphia Film Society to do a free community-based drive-in movie for Philadelphia. I think that's something that the community really needs. It's going to be free. But during this pandemic, the city has suffered from it. There's an air in the air of people are beat down. And so right now, folks need more than anything, a space to be in community, obviously in a socially distanced way. And so that's what I've been working on. And if somebody want to give me that million dollars, we can do this on a regular basis for the community. What's the movie? We're still talking about that. We've been going back and forth.
1: Do you have any recommendations, Tashi?
0: Movie? Like
2: what type?
1: It brings people together.
2: What's a movie that's entertaining for you is the question. I was initially thinking it was Tenet. I don't know if you saw that. I haven't seen it, actually. It's funny because when I went to Atlanta, that's one of the movies we we did at the drive-in down there. But I actually didn't sit down and watch it.
1: I would say no to Tenet because, in my opinion, it's purposefully made for you to watch it twice. You mm-hmm. have to watch mm-hmm. it twice. Like in order. Yeah, you it's have like to watch it twice in order to get everything that happened.
2: What's that movie that folks didn't get? I got, though, Inception. Is yeah, it like it's the one same, same director, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I watched it the first time and was like... Nah. Yeah, my wife looked at me like... And then I immediately got online, Googled it, and they're like, you have to watch it twice. And I watched it <laughs> twice and I was like... <laughs> it's yeah, but yeah, that's. I'm trying to think family oriented, but I don't think that's what you're going for. Not for the kids. Doesn't necessarily have to be. I was going to say, Soul was probably one of the best movies I've seen this past year. It was awesome. I haven't seen that either. Soul's really good.
2: Maybe I'll work on that. Yeah. That might be one.
0: Now, Soul on the other hand. <laughs> now, that's one of my favorite movies it? right now. The meaning behind it and how much of an impact that goes on in that movie that you can relate to on a daily basis in life. Somebody that you never know that can inspire you to do something different or want to reach out to help motivate somebody else. So the direction of that movie, I would say, is a 100 percent yeah. Because of the message that it carries, you voted it. for it. Now I gotta take that back to our planning meeting. That's the movie now. So because of the message behind it, and I would say one of the main characters of Soul, you can use Mr. Ponte, <laughs> <laughs> and the person that Mr. Ponte impacts is out of nowhere. I just got a light bulb. I just got some inspiration from somebody that that don't know me from anywhere, but he took the time out to give you the guidelines, give you the ropes of certain things so the message behind soul will be good. Yeah, mm.
1: and I agree 100% with what you just said, and it would activate that light bulb of the people who watch it to figure out how I can reach out to someone and inspire them, mm, which cool. if it's Coalition for Community Empowerment, That's how you build the community.
0: The main character in Soul, he was having problems. He had to lay aside because he had to empower somebody without knowing that he's getting ready to empower somebody to do something or to give back or just to listen. Lending a listening ear
2: will be a good summarization of Soul too. Now I'm going to have to watch this movie, but what you just outlined, though, is the thing that we all go through a little bit. I, I don't sit here and, and try to profess that I got all my, you know, ish together. We're all constantly going through this mode of I need to get my things together and, and I need to deal with my issues and my baggage and troubles. And at the same time, being that empowering voice or being that uplifting person in somebody else's life. And I think a lot in a lot of ways, our society, especially with social media, it portrays everybody is you have to be the expert on the thing and be perfect in order to be able to empower and uplift and who the hell is perfect? Everybody's flawed in so many different ways and everybody has their own things that they're struggling with and working on it's whether or not you're willing to work on it I'm going to have to watch this movie now
1: yeah watch Soul. Yeah. Soul
0: Soul is a really good movie it's a movie that's a I got a second chance I thought I was done I thought I was counted out I thought that this was the end of the road but When I have somebody else that's looking up to me, it's, oh, man, I got to lay what I'm going through aside. Now I have to build the confidence in myself to know that I can do this. And if I can do this, I can inspire and impact somebody else to do the same thing.
1: Tarshid's available for the Q&A after this drive after this drive-in uh-huh. movie theater. Well, he, he, might, could, he could start the community I might, discussion. I
2: might need to be, it might need to be a before Q&A because yeah. the one thing that I experience with these drive-ins, man, after the movie, they'd be like, I'm, I'm out. I'm yeah, out.
1: that makes sense. It's a wrap. That makes sense.
0: But I think once you put this movie out there and you, they see the movie, it's, okay, we can rehab really have a Q&A. Now I have some questions <laughs> after I didn't watch the movie, like... How could I do something like that for somebody that I don't know? And what type of impact can I have not only on somebody else, but probably on a brother or sister yeah. or a neighbor or something? Yeah, It's just an all-around good movie that you can just bring community together. It's a movie that kids will actually sit down and watch because of the meaning of it. Who doesn't want to watch cartoons as a kid? True. Who doesn't wanna see people get angry at each other and run from each other? It's a mood movie. I'm sad, I'm down, but yo, this movie just cheered me up. So now I'm on my A-game for somebody else. My parents always told me life's biggest lesson is experience. So if you experience some of the stuff, you can relate to some of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Like how you get counted out, how people say you're this and you're that. But this movie helps you understand that what people say doesn't determine where you're getting ready to go. Exactly. And who you're going to encounter on that way to get where you got
2: to go. So that's a good movie to me. Endorsement. <laughs> that's a strong endorsement. What
0: advice would you give God. your younger self
2: after all the knowledge that you know now? God, that's. I would definitely say you're worthy of being in this space, the measure of who you are and what you do isn't what you've done for me lately. And three would be, take a break. (laughs) I've been going hard since 18. I'll be 35 this year. And it didn't necessarily all fall into the scope of the, the organizing and activism work that I do. I've just been going harder in whatever career that I've had. And so there's a couple of trajectories that I can share about that. I had my son when I was 18, and so my son is 16 now. And from day one, it was like, all right, I gotta work, I gotta go to school. I'm juggling work, school, son. And at one point I had two full-time jobs on top of taking care of him, on top of going to school. Obviously, that's not sustainable. Ultimately, my career led me to general manager for a Sears. This is stating myself, but I was general manager for a Sears Auto by the time I was 21. I had no education in automotive. And so I taught myself. So that was, again, I had to go hard because I got this promotion. I got this you know new job that is not in the field that I've studied. And now I got to educate myself all on this other stuff. So then life happens, I leave that work, I go into the hospitality industry. Ended up being a director of guest services for a number of hotels in Center City where I was put in key positions of being able to hire talent, manage multiple departments at a time. I was 24, 25 at the time. So I've been consistently, from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, I have periods where I was working seven days a week for several months, close to a year at a time. Take a break. <laughs> Take a goddamn break. Even now, I still struggle with taking a break. And all of those three pieces of advice, I still give myself to this day because I still need practice. But when I started the blog that morphed into the podcast, that's when I started to learn that I needed to follow my passions a little bit more instead of following what society deemed as a job, as a title, or a company that was worthy to work for or alongside of and it was in this work of just writing my story and sharing my narrative with my my blog and interviewing folks like carlos who's been a guest on the podcast or mr aponte i always forget carlos, to, I always carlos forget. is
0: great
1: <laughs> what? i don't i don't know how i ever felt about mister i feel like it should just be first names
0: i ain't never called you mr
2: aponte yeah anybody. yeah I'd, if I'd, it's just us hey aponte i don't really care yeah, yeah It's not my thing. Anyway, totally off topic. But starting the blog, starting the podcast led me to being a member at Color of Change, going to an event just like you went to, and just being a part of the organization. Had I not started that path, I wouldn't be now working there full time. Had I not started that path of just sharing my story, sharing my narrative, I wouldn't have been able to start my nonprofit organization. All of that, whether it's traveling to Georgia to help with the elections down there, whether it's In this past election, doing an event up here in West Philly where we were able to give out free food while folks waited in line to go vote. Whether it's multiple virtual conversations and forums that we set up with the community and elected leaders about problems with policing and our frustrations with the criminal justice system. All of that stems from just sharing my story.
1: And even a deeper thread is all of those things you just mentioned at one point in time were completely unknown to you. Oh, None yeah. of these possibilities would have shown themselves to you if you did not dive into the unknown head first. And I think we live in a a society where there's so much fear about the unknown or about being judged or about trying something new and failing that a lot of people are missing out on all of these opportunities. And it's awesome to be a a personal friend of
2: yours and watch you do all of the unknown. I was having this conversation with my wife, and she was like, you just do stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) but the fear is still there. Hmm. And I think that's something that I want folks to understand is just because I do something without the necessary degree or specialized training or 100% knowledge on something. Like, I had no idea what paperwork I needed to file for a nonprofit, but I figured this shit out and I just jumped at it and did it. I had no idea what I, I mentioned. I was the general manager of an auto center. I didn't have any degree on cars. I never changed a friggin' tire before, but I took the role. I jumped into it, and now I work on my own car all the time. The fear is still there, though. Just because I did it doesn't mean that I'm fearless. The point is I'm not going to let the fear dictate what I do, but also I look to surround myself with supporters of my ideas and dreams. And so when I have those moments of I'm afraid of what I'm going to do, I know that I have people around me that can be supporters of the dream and of the ideas. And I I don't have a friend that's, I'm thinking of launching this nonprofit. What the hell are you going to do that for? Nobody cares about that. It's not somebody that I want to surround myself with. That's just going to make my fear manifest itself even more. Mm-hmm. And instead, I surround myself with friends like you. It's just, yes, do it. <laughs> Literally, that's his voice. And so I, I want folks to know that you don't have to be fearless. In fact, you should embrace the fear. Just don't let it drive you. Just yes. make sure that you have an avenue to talk about your fear. And have somebody to share that with so that they can be a source to uplift you and rally around you. Every day, I, I walk around with imposter syndrome. Mm. Every day, I go into my organizing meetings that I do. And I'm like, am I enough? Am I the right person to be in this world? I, I carry it with me all the time. And it's just through talking about it. And also hearing other people share that they have those same fears starts to validate you a little bit.
1: Yes, Absolutely. I want to take this moment to send some love your way. Thank you so much for being that person who was willing to face that fear and to leap and to know that you're able to leap because you have a community behind you. And because you have created that community behind you you're now inspired to create more community and in my opinion one of the most endearing qualities about a person is when they want to bring people together for the greater good and to to help more people and i absolutely love you for that and i appreciate you so much
2: thank you thank you i love you too man and i create community because i need it full transparency i'm just creating it for somebody else i'm creating it cuz i need the community but it's also with the hope that folks also feel that in the same community that yeah, creates the as well, it's the gift that always gives. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, how do we donate? How do we get you that one million dollar check? How do we find you? Instagram, <laughs>
2: website. God, there's so many platforms. I think I want to direct everyone mostly to Coalition for Community Empowerment, Philly dot org. Scroll right down to the bottom, and that's how you can become a monthly donator or a one-time donator. It could be a dollar a month. It could be five dollars. It could be that million-dollar check. Who knows? And you can also learn more about our organization and how you can sign up for different events, whether they be virtual or in person. We have a lot that we're working on through the rest of this year and into next year to be able to provide the community at large a space to embrace and show that love to each other and, and for us to thrive. And then you can also email me if you want to partner, if you want to learn more about the organization at info at cfcephilly.org. So it's info at cfcephilly.org.
1: One last question. What is your definition of love?
2: My definition of love is unconditional, regardless of what a person has done, potential that they have or don't, how they're feeling in the moment. Love is an unconditional thing and it's not measured by someone else's perspective of what love is just based on you as the individual, what you feel.
0: Thank you for your time.
2: Of course. Thank you for having me.